Today's reading is taken from Ephesians 5:22 to 33. If you are using the Church Bible, this is pages 949 to 950. If you'd like a Church Bible, there are some at the back. Wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife should respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Thank you, Ailey. I'm just going to get a clicker, and then I'll go upstairs. Am I audible? Great. If I preach up here, it's easier to see for people at the back. But uh, yeah, this is a, a controversial topic. You may wonder, uh, we're usually preaching through the Bible here in the church. Can I take a book, passage by passage? This is slightly different. We are looking at a few difficult topics in the Bible, hot topics in the culture, that kind of, uh, yeah, a lot of people feel that the Bible is outdated, as it says. The Bible, you know what it says, is backward. We've moved on from there. The Bible's teaching is harmful. And there's maybe many of us struggle with that. Uh, many of us get questions about that. And so we're having a few weeks where we're looking at a few of those difficult topics. And today, yeah, as you've heard uh, from the passage, it's about the role of women. Uh, that is something, uh, well, that passage maybe that made you bristle. Um, I have three daughters. They've asked me questions about the Bible that I've never thought about. Uh, they've asked me, uh, why are most of the heroes in the Bible men? Why was Jesus a man? Uh, they've asked me, you know, uh, in engagement, why does the man always propose to the woman? Uh, why does the, the, the father give the bride to the man? But the Groom's parents are not involved, those kind of things. But there's quite a few things that we never think about, or maybe I don't think about them, being a man. But actually, the, yeah, our culture has sometimes quite a men's perspective. Uh, the Bible has a men's perspective, it feels, they say. It's quite a big issue in uh, the wider world. There are places in the world that are, well, many Islamic countries that seem particularly bad for women, right? Women can be beaten by their husbands, they can't drive, they, uh, they have not much legal status, girls can't be educated, they can't go to school. Uh, and we hear that, and people are trying to improve that. And, you know, that's a good thing, but then people look at the Bible. The Bible looks pretty bad. 
In the Old Testament, women had very few legal rights. Uh, they couldn't inherit. And there's plenty of episodes in the Bible where women are treated very badly. And then people think, isn't the Bible very harmful? Isn't it better to leave the Bible behind because it just reinforces, you know, the wife, submit to your husband, uh, that kind of thing. It seems to reinforce a big mistreatment of women that is going on. Well, that's what I want to talk about. Uh, I think the answer is no, the Bible is not outdated. Well, uh, some of it is in a different way, maybe. But that's where I want us to go. I hope it will give us confidence. I hope it will make us, yeah, the Bible is good. God is good. Jesus is good. But that's where I want to go today. But I think we need to pray, so let's do that. Uh, Father, we are approaching uh, yeah, a difficult topic uh, where many uh, feel hurt, where uh, people can be, uh, yeah, where we have issues. Father, please speak to us, speak through me, uh, take these words, take, uh, make them alive in our hearts, and make us see your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Well, where do we need to start? Of course, we need to start at the beginning, in Genesis. And what does the Bible say? How would you summarize it? I guess men and women are equal but different. Equal but different. Why are they equal? Well, we're both in the image of God. So uh, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, etc. Uh, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Yeah, the image of God, the thing that makes human beings special, it's both male and female. We were made equal in that sense. Yeah, and actually, together. Uh, why does God say, let us make man in our image? Well, it's because God is you know, three persons who are different, but they're one. And so, men and women, male and female, they're, they're different, but they're, they're one. They're equal. And the image of God is what, what makes us special. Uh, of course, it's not just that equality. Uh, it does say different, that's what I mentioned. Um, chapter 2 zooms in on the creation, and, and we see here a bit about how men and women belong together, but they are different. So what does it say? Had the Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Yeah, men and women, well, made for each other. Now, the word helper here in Hong Kong, I never thought of it this way, but here in Hong Kong, of course, the word helper is very loaded, right? A helper is a domestic servant, and it sounds like Adam needed a domestic servant. Uh, that's not the word helper. The word helper is used of God. You know, in, in the Psalms, David is there, and uh, he's in a cave, and he says, uh, you know, uh, as for me, I'm poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my helper and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. You know, he needs help. And so, God, please come and help me. That's the idea of helping. You know, the man is, uh, he's inadequate. The man can't do it. And so he needs someone to help him, like I help my kids with the homework, right? Um, that's the idea. But that word suitable is interesting, a helper suitable. It's the idea of, of like and opposite, both of them. And men and women, there are many ways alike, but they're also opposite. Think of uh, 
a left shoe and a right shoe. They are alike, right? They're very similar, but they, they belong together. They're not the same, but so that they fit together. And if you take that, well, that means that men and women, they are different. They have different gifts. They have different strengths, different capabilities. That means that humanity needs both. In the world, we need men and women. At work, we need men and women. In the church, we need men and women. In marriage, you need a man and a woman. Uh, we are equal and we're different, and together we make up humanity. Uh, that is the Bible's teaching. Uh, however, of course, that's not how the world is. This was Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, and it all becomes a mess. And since then, yeah, the world is a sinful world. And that means that this beautiful pattern uh, we don't see. So I, I mentioned many cultures where women are mistreated. Um, that's uh, these kind of traditional... Uh, oh, sorry. I'm confused. Uh, many uh, cultures where it's seen as wrong, um, where, where women shouldn't have these rights, we see um, these traditional stereotypes sometimes. Uh, that, uh, you know, women should cook and clean, and, and men should go out to work. But that's not in the Bible. Uh, men and women are equal, but different. They have different things to contribute, and, and we need both. Uh, the, the Bible is often just misread. We, we take our culture, we read it into it, because that's what we do. Our culture, you know, it's, it controls us so much. Uh, Christians, sadly, have often got it wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say, you know, well, happy. Uh, I'm, I can admit, you know, Christians have often mistreated women. Um, Martin Luther, he was a great reformer. He started the Reformation, but doesn't mean that he had all his views sorted out. So here's one thing he said. Men have broad and large chests and small narrow hips and more understanding than women who have but small and narrow breasts and broad hips. To the end, they should remain at home sit still, keep house, and bear and bring up children. That's what he thought, that's what he preached, and we think that's crazy. Uh, you know, how can he say that? But the fact is, most cultures throughout the world, throughout history, have been dominated by men, maybe because they're stronger. So what should we do with this? Uh, I think, you know, we need to see, okay, these things were wrong. They need to change, and many people in the world, they want to change, they want to, you know, they want to fight for rights of women in other countries, that's a good thing. We should, in many ways, support that, yeah, that uh, women can't vote, or that women can't get educated, or that uh, women can be beaten. Those things are wrong. Uh, we should look in our own lives. Do we value both genders equally? Do we value what the other person offers? Uh, that is what the Bible would say. Uh, we, uh, you know, again, we have our blind spots, we have our cultures. I'm not saying it's always men. I know women who have mistreated men in other ways. Uh, that can also happen. And in that sense, we're all sinners. We all get it wrong. But what we need to have this basis clear, right? We're both equal, we're different. We both have things to offer that are both needed. That is the Bible's starting point.
However, uh, we hear that, and that sounds good. But then how about the Old Testament? Because people often go to the Old Testament. You know, this is part of the Bible, and, you know, women, again, they couldn't inherit. They were treated like property. Their testimony wasn't worth much. How should we read the Old Testament? And I think, yeah, I think this is important for us. We need to learn how to read the Old Testament in context. We need to see it as what the kind of literature it is and where it comes in history. First thing to say, description is not prescription, if you've heard that expression. Just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, so there's a lot of terrible stories. I've been reading Genesis with Hannah, and it's terrible how women are often treated. But it doesn't make it that God commands this. It just shows how bad things were, how sinful these people were. And I mean, the Bible has lots of idol worship, right? The Israelites constantly worship Baal. Does that mean that God commands Baal worship? No. It just shows what sinners do. And that is, again, what we see in the Bible. And the Old Testament law, I think we need to realize that the law is, is limited. And many people, they struggle with the Old Testament law. But the law wasn't perfect. So here are some words from Jesus. So the Pharisees came to him. They asked him about divorce. Uh, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, what did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Well, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made a male and female. Now, can you hear what Jesus says? Jesus says the law wasn't perfect. The Old Testament law, well, it allowed divorce. But that's not because divorce was good. It's just that, you know, your, your sinful hearts, God kind of allowed it. Uh, but actually, you go to Genesis 1 and 2, and it's different. Uh, Jesus takes the ethical teaching a lot further, which means that if you have kind of God's perfect standards and what human beings are like without the law, well, maybe it's somewhere in the middle. You know, the Old Testament law, it, it wasn't fully there yet. Uh, so the Old Testament says, don't murder. And Jesus comes says, well, it's not just don't murder, also don't hate. Uh, not just no adultery, but also, you know, uh, no lust. The Old Testament was just, it was a step in the right direction, but not fully there. Because people couldn't handle that. You, you can't just take a, a nation with a culture and just give them God's perfect law, and perfect standards, and, and expect them to do it. Uh, if you have children, you know, when you were two years old, your parents didn't expect the same thing as when you were 12 years old, right? Children grow up, they can do more. And God reveals his standards in a way over time. But we need to read it as not perfect. And the thing is, our culture has been influenced by 2,000 years of Jesus' teaching. And so our standards are higher than the Old Testament law, thanks to what Jesus has said. And then we, we look at the gap here and we think, well, look at the Old Testament law, look how bad it is. But that's not how we should read it. We should read it forward. We should look at what an improvement it is based on without it. And the Old Testament, in some ways, it is outdated. You know, Jesus has come. 
We no longer have a temple, that's outdated. We no longer have sacrifices, that's outdated. Uh, we have the, the ethical teaching has been, again, surpassed by what Jesus said. Let me give an example how if we see the Old Testament, you know, it, it can seem bad, but actually uh, pretty good. So here is, a, is a, a passage from Deuteronomy, and people read this and think, man. Yeah, so uh, a law, when you go to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and you take captives, if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Bring her into your home, have her shave her head, trim her nails, and put aside the clothes she was wearing when captured. After she has lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. If you're not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave, since you have dishonored her. Uh, people read this and they think, doesn't the woman have any choice, right? It's just a man's choice. Uh, what, what a terrible passage. Let's put it back in its context. First of all, this is a context of war and captives, right? The, what did they do with captives at that time? They'd become slaves. So this is not some woman free outside. She would be a slave otherwise. But, but think about it. If a woman is captured in war, a beautiful woman, what's what will happen to her? What has happened to women all around the world at the moment in conflict? She's going to get raped, right? That is what is normal. That is what sinful people do. And this passage says, no, no, she's not an object to be used. If you like her, well, she needs to be your wife. So in a way, this law protects women, if you see it like that. And, and, and see how it respects her personhood as well. You know, she's, again, it's not an instant marriage as Islamic State used to do. You know, something traumatic has happened to her, so you, you take her and you give her a month to, to process this. You, you just wait, because this is something big that's happened to her, and she needs to process that. There's a real recognition here of her, her feelings, and that she's a person. And we don't see that. We just look at the, the gap between you know, modern standards and this. But actually, if you look at it from the other side, this is a very humane law that protects women, uh, that honors their personhood. Now, I'm sure you have more questions about this, but I hope you can see some of the, oh, actually, we need to read this differently. Okay? And so the Old Testament, to some extent, is outdated because, you know, Jesus has moved on. God, well, Jesus has come. God has moved on. Actually, the Old Testament has so many positive role models, positive examples of women. I mean, that's in the news a bit now with Captain Marvel. I don't know. I'm going to see it on Friday. So, Captain Marvel, finally, here's a Marvel movie with a, a woman as the, kind of, as the star. And so far, it's been mainly men, women in side roles, and people complained, well, why are there no... Uh, women as positive examples. Actually, the Bible is full of them. But we need to, again, we need to read it rightly. So take the book of Joshua. We've done that now for a few months, right? The book of Joshua. Do you think Joshua is very positive about women? Well, who would be on the poster if they made a movie of Joshua? Who would be on the poster? My guess is you would put Joshua there. And he's a man. But actually, Joshua is not meant as a role model for us. Joshua, he's meant as a picture of Jesus. 
Joshua is the God's mighty leader who brings the people into the promised land. We're not Joshua. And actually, most of those heroes in the Bible, they're, they're pictures of Jesus. Who are the two examples in Joshua? The two main examples. There's Rahab and Achan. They would be on the poster. Rahab and Achan. Rahab, a really great example of faith. Achan, terrible guy who got judged. Who is the woman? Well, Rahab. Right? The, the most positive example that we should all emulate is a woman. Uh, I can give you lots of examples. Numbers, Luke. Various books where women are held out as, look, here is a positive example. If we just look at the ordinary people, so many women are highlighted. It's not just Ruth. It's not just Ruth as the Captain Marvel of the Bible. No. So many positive stories about women. And then, yeah, uh, you go from there to the New Testament. And the New Testament, yeah, it's, it goes to the perfect standards, right? If you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus loved women. He just talked freely to women. Uh, Martha was in the kitchen while Mary was at his feet listening, and he said, Mary's done the right thing. Um, women were the last at the cross while the men had fled. Uh, women were the first witnesses to whom Jesus appeared, resurrected from the dead. Uh, the New Testament teaching, so many women helping in the church. Uh, Paul, he gets a bad press because of Ephesians 5. Listen to some of his other teaching on marriage. I, I, I love this verse. It's uh, again about marriage. So Paul says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Ooh. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Don't know if you knew that. Here's a pretty radical equality. I mean, the, the Greco-Roman society in the first century... Again, women had no rights. You know, women were nothing. And then Paul says, you know, husbands, your wife has authority over your body. This is a pretty radical equality. And so, yeah, you take all this together, you know, the New Testament really teaches that. Equal but different. Yes, the Old Testament, we need to, we need to read it in context. But I think the Bible's teaching, I, I hope you can see that you know, men and women, they're both equal, they're valued, we need both. And so it's, yeah, it, it, the Bible gets a bad press for the wrong reasons. It's just people don't read it correctly. Although you will think, but you haven't dealt with Ephesians 5 yet. You haven't dealt yet with, with, with that passage, these kind of passages. Now, what do you do with the husband being the head of the wife? And we need to see this in context again. You know, this is talking just about the marriage relationship. This is not talking about the workplace, society, parenting. And there's a lot of teaching about marriage, as you can see, that's very equal, very the same. How, how should we see this idea that the husband is the head of the wife? Well, I've, I know why we're suspicious. We're suspicious because usually if someone if there's a kind of order, the person up here will abuse the other person, right? That's what we always think. Actually, one thing the Bible does, and that's, that's where it, it really moves on from the culture, it turns headship on its head. The Bible turns headship on its head. I can't explain this passage fully, 
But the Bible says this head and body, it reflects something. It reflects the gospel. That is what it says. You know, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, submit to your, to your husbands as you do to the Lord, as the church submits to Christ. So it's like a drama. Marriage is like a drama with the, the you know, with two actors and one is, uh, you know, one is Christ and one is the church. Now you hear that, the wife, you know, submit to your husband, and it sounds like the wife should serve the husband, right? It sounds like the wife serves the husband for the husband's benefit. But is that the gospel? Is that the gospel about what we do for Jesus and how Jesus benefits from what we do for him? No, right? The Bible is about how Jesus served us, how on the cross he died for us. That's what it says, like, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her. It's... The husband is the one who serves. Jesus is the one who serves. And, and who is the one who benefits? It's the wife. It's the bride. It's us. Yeah, you see the, the gospel and you should think, I want to be a Christian. The gospel is good news. But that's the bride, right? As a Christian, you are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. In heaven, we will be the bride of Christ for all eternity. And I hope you think that's a good thing. Yeah, heaven will be perfect, but you'll be the bride. Well, that shows that this passage can't be bad, right? If the wife's role is like the church, and being the church is wonderful, then it's completely the opposite of what we think. Now, again, I can't explain this passage fully, but have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that it's the husband who serves? The husband sacrifices his life for the wife. It's the opposite of what we think. Jesus is the king, but he serves. Jesus, he's God, but he came down and died. That changes the whole power dynamic. It changes the whole relationship. Now, what it works out in practice, you know, ask married couples. But I, I hope you see, you know, order, some kind of hierarchy, actually the gospel turns it upside down. And so as we approach this topic, as we, you know, we end here, men and women, we, we need to go back to the gospel. We need to see Jesus' love. We need to see how he treats us. If that is the model, if that is what, you know, how blessed we are, that is how we should see how he sees women, uh, how women should be treated. And I, I hope that will transform this whole topic. So, yeah, let's think about Jesus and his love. We're going to sing um, We Declare, which sings about us being the bride. We're going to have communion that shows, again, Jesus' sacrifice. But that is the topic we need. So, uh, yeah, we're going to stand and sing. If you have children in sparklers, rainbows, and splash, please come and pick them up now because they will join in as we celebrate communion. Uh, this is also our time of offering, so please, uh, if you're part of the church family, uh, yeah, this is your time to contribute to the ministry here. And uh, if you're a visitor, please let the bag pass along. But uh, yeah, let's reflect on Jesus and his love. <laughs>